so good to see you. Like almost everybody here. That's so cool. Um, I'm, I'm really excited when Aaron told me what this camp's about, the Upside Down Kingdom. I'm like speaking my language. So I'm so excited to talk about the Upside Down Kingdom. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 13? Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And the title of my message today is The Peter Pandemonium Kingdom. Peter Pandemonium. The beautiful chaos of never growing up. Now check this out. David, who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, was a sort of Peter Pan. David refused to grow up. Listen to what he said in Psalm 131 verse 2. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Now in the context of this passage, he's talking about a kid who's four or five years old who walks trustingly beside his mother. David says, my ambition in life is to become a five-year-old. Isn't that awesome? Then in the next verse, in Psalm 131, verse 3, he goes on to say, let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. So he says, I want to be like a four- or five-year-old kid, and I want to inspire my nation as its king. I want to galvanize Israel into hoping in the Lord. Because children find it very easy to hope. I've never seen a kid who walks around stroking his Gandalf Dumbledore beard and saying life is fraught with existential conundrums and is entirely meaningless. Kids are too energetic. They're too filled with hope to think that way. That's why I want to become like a kid in my faith. Um, I know for me, I actually started teaching when I was a kid, kind of. I got thrown into teaching way before I was ready. One of my favorite quotes is by Pablo Picasso. He said, I am always doing that which I cannot do in order that I may learn how to do it. That kind of happened for me. Um, I started teaching when I was 16 and became a pastor my senior year of high school. But the first teaching I ever gave was when I was in third grade. I got up in front of my peers and I read the story of the dry bones from the book of Ezekiel and then I sat down. That was my whole teaching. You know that story where the dry bones connect like the... The shin bone connects to the knee bone, and the knee bone connects to the thigh bone. Like, remember in Lion King, there were all those dry bones with the laughing hyenas? Ezekiel sees this vision of all these dry bones, and they come together and become this mighty army. Well, I just read the story, and I sat down, and I didn't even explain it. That was my first teaching as a third grader. It was probably the best message I ever gave. Because I just read the Bible and then sat down. Because as a third grader, I believed that God could breathe life into dry bones. As a kid, I just had faith that that story was true. When you're a kid, faith comes naturally to you. So as we're considering this upside-down kingdom, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus will teach us that the kids are the ones who rule in his kingdom. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. If you're in Mark 10, 13, would you please say, Peter, pandemonium. Okay, that was horrible. If you're in Mark 10, 13, would you please say, Peter, pandemonium. There we go. The Peter, pandemonium kingdom, son. Mark 10, 13 says, And they brought children to him, speaking of Jesus, 
that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the, what does he say? Kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. This is a cool scene. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon the kids, and blessed them. In this passage, Jesus says that the kingdom is comprised of kids. Peter Pan's make up the kingdom. Those who know how to man up, but not quite grow up. I love Jesus' teachings, man. His words forked lightning. They said of Jesus, no man spake like this man. The Bible says that Jesus did not speak as the scribes, but he spoke as one having exousia in the Greek, authority. He had this power wafting off of him in palpable waves. I mean, Jesus' teaching was spectacularly good. When Jesus decided to teach, it was like Wittgenstein had joined Jeopardy. It was like Paul Bunyan joining the NFL. It was like Albert Einstein joining Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I mean, this was Jesus' calling. And so Jesus, at this point in his life, was already respected as a great teacher. And in that culture, it was natural for Jewish moms to bring their kid to an esteemed rabbi so that the rabbi could pray a blessing over that child. And mothers usually did this on the kid's first birthday. So a lot of the kids that are around Jesus in this story are probably one years old. Now, there was obviously a kindly sunshine about Jesus that made people want to be near him, kids specifically. George MacDonald, one of my favorite Scottish authors, said that he did not believe in people's Christianity if there were never children playing around their house. Now, I don't have kids playing around my apartment door, but the idea is kids should want to be near you. Over and over again in the gospel stories, you see that kids were always wanting to be near Jesus. I mean, Jesus was like Disneyland to kids. Speaking of Peter Pan and Disneyland, Disneyland, the world's biggest people trap, built by a mouse. Jesus was somebody who kids were drawn to. They were attracted to him. A great man once said that the greatest compliment ever paid him was when a little child, a complete stranger, came up to this man and said, Sir, would you please tie my shoelace? This great man said that was the greatest compliment he was ever paid. Not the compliments of his great works, but of the fact that one time a little kid trusted this stranger enough to say, Would you tie my shoelace? That's how Jesus was. They wanted to be around him, these kids. Speaking of kids, here's really good beauty advice for all of us, said from a very wise person. Listen to this. For attractive lips, speak words of kindness. For lovely eyes, seek out the good in people. For a slim figure, share your food with the hungry. For beautiful hair, let a child run their fingers through it once a day. For poise, walk with the knowledge that you never walk alone. 
I can just picture the kids playing with Jesus' hair as he takes them up in his arms and blesses them. Now, Jesus says that if you become like a kid, you're going to have easy access into his kingdom. A kid is full of sacred optimism, holy happiness, Jesus' joy. A kid hasn't got a crave of the grave. A kid is a devotee of dreams. A kid just doesn't care what people think of it. You know the Bible says the fear of man is a trap? Kids definitely don't care what people think. Like, they don't have fear. Um, You guys probably know the most repeated commandment in the Bible is don't be afraid. Kids aren't afraid. It's like kids understand the reality of this aphorism. No God, no fear, no God, no fear. So what do you mean? K-N-O-W, God, N-O, fear. N-O, God, K-N-O-W, fear. If you fear God, you're not going to fear anybody or anything else. I once heard a hugely influential pastor say, That if he cared about criticism, he would have never done anything in his life. Kids just, they don't care what people think of them. Like, they know that people are all beautiful and unique like snowflakes. You know, no two snowflakes are the same. People are beautiful and unique like snowflakes, but they're still flakes nonetheless. It's like, I'm not going to care what they think. I'm going to be filled with joy and hope. I'm going to be filled with exuberance and hopeful buoyancy. I like what the author of Peter Pan said about kids. The author, J.M. Barry, said, The moment you doubt whether you can fly, you cease forever to be able to do it. The reason birds can fly and we can't is simply that they have perfect faith, for to have faith is to have wings. That's what the author of Peter Pan said. To have faith is to have wings. Man, you're going to soar up with wings like eagles when you have childlike faith, Peter Pan style you're going to be one of the ones ruling the kingdom of God beside the king of kings and lord of lords himself. Do you have childlike faith that God is your daddy and he wants to bless you? Do you realize that God wants to give you good gifts in the Holy Spirit whenever you ask? The book of Psalms says the Lord your God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. Listen, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from you as you walk with him. The Bible also says in the book of Proverbs, you guys are going to like this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So the Lord will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. And the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I know when I was in high school, that's what I was thinking about. Who's going to be my future spouse? You know, when you're in high school, it's like, okay, we're here to date for a maid single and ready to mingle. Let's be like Noah and do this as a pair. I'm going to put on my J's, going to go get that bay, looking across the sanctuary for future future bay possibilities. And a lot of high schoolers say this, Ben, I know I'm a child of God. God doesn't withhold any good thing from me, his kid, and he's my Abba. And he who finds a wife finds a good thing, but how do I know she's the one? People ask that all the time. How do you know when she's the one? Well, let me just say this. We're all a little weird. And life is a little weird. And when we find someone whose weirdness is compatible with ours, we join up with them 
and fall into mutually satisfying weirdness and call it love, true love. There comes a time where you find somebody who's as weird as you, and your weirdness is compatible, you fall into mutually satisfying weirdness, and then you call it love. For example, the other night, my wife, Nisha, the Nisha Nader, who just said that, I love you, you just brought that up. <laughs> ben, she says, can we fall asleep to a Star Wars audiobook? <laughs> A good thing. Mutually satisfying weirdness, my friends. There's this couple at our church. They work at the church. Mackenzie, she leads us in worship and Colony does sound. They, they've been married for like a year or two. They have matching tattoos. They have matching Yahweh arm tattoos right on their arm. Which is pretty cool. But here's the wild thing. They both got a matching Yahweh arm tattoo on the exact same spot of their arm before they even knew each other. <laughs> Jesus said, what God puts together, let no man separate, implying God is not just the maker, he's the matchmaker. That's why the Bible opens up with a love story between Adam and Eve. Friends, you know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because reality is finally better than your dreams. Dr. Seuss said that. You can use that as a pickup line, that'll be good. But for me and Nisha, like I know in our relationship, I'm obnoxious, she's classy, so we balance each other out. I find that our mutually satisfying weirdness works together. So, so whatever it is that's your dream, whether it's to get married, or whether it's to be a voice actor, or whether it's to be whatever, if you're going to dream, then dream large. Be in, listen, be in the, hear me, be in the, don't tune me out, be in the, ears perked, be in the castle cloud architecture business. Adults like those kids, they're just building castles in the clouds. That's a good thing to have a big imagination. Because no matter how big your imagination is regarding your future, God can always out-imagine your future on your behalf. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or think according to the power that's at work within you. God can now imagine you. So be in the castle cloud architecture business and have wings like Peter Pan and like that kid. Now, that's the first part of my study. We're going to go now to the second part. We're talking today about the upside down kingdom, how kids rule in the kingdom. But remember, the kingdom is filled with tension and paradox. While the Bible says that we're to be like little kids, we're not to grow up, it does say that we're to man up. Now here's what I mean by that. We need to learn to keep our eyes on the stars, but remember to keep your feet on the ground. Follow your heart, but take your brain with you. Have childlike faith, but be adult practical. Be like Josiah, that little kid in the Old Testament who became king at eight years old. Remember Josiah was king at eight? How would you like to have a first grader in the Oval Office? Could I please talk to the president? Sorry, he's playing with coloring books. He'll call you back in five minutes. Became king at eight. 16 years old, he was seeking the Lord on his own accord. 
20, Josiah was leading a spiritual awakening in the land of Judah. He took the bones of pagan priests and burned those bones on the altars and then burned the pagan altars themselves. When he was in his deep 20s, he went into the dilapidated temple, discovered the book of the law. It was all dusty. He read from the book of the law, tore his garments and he caused all of Israel to repent and follow after Jehovah. Josiah did great things young. So we're to be young like Josiah, but we're also to be old in wisdom like his ancestor Solomon. Solomon talked about the importance of manning up and getting knowledge. He said in Proverbs 2, 3 through 4, Cry after knowledge. Seek for her as for hidden treasures. Yes, we want to be like kids, but we also want to man up and get old like Methuselah in wisdom and stay young like David and Darren. We want to be enthusiastic and theos in God like eight-year-old Josiah, but we also want to be wise and knowledgeable like Solomon. That's the killer combination. So to employ precision of language, we're to be childlike but not childish. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, be childlike. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and say, don't be childish. So in our passage, Jesus says, be childlike. But Paul would say, don't be childish. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So we want to have childlike faith, but we don't want to be childishly immature or ignorant. In fact, do you remember the story of Job? He scraped boils off his skin with a piece of pottery. The Oakland Raiders, I mean the Sabian Raiders, stole all of his possessions. His wife said, curse God and die. All his kids perished in a whirlwind. And when God showed up to him, God didn't say, oh, Job. Can't believe all the bad things you've gone through. Let me call you, little Job. Let me call you, my little baby. What did God say to Job? In verse 6 of chapter 40, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. Really, God? That's what you're going to tell Job after he suffers? Job says, Man up. That's what the Lord's telling me to do. God says, Quit yourself. Behave like a man. Now, this is something that's, I'm going to talk to us guys for a minute. Something that's really hard for guys, especially in our generation. Because sometimes we guys uh, don't want to man up. We're like, you know, I can, I can live at home till I'm 55. And, you know, get married when I'm 56. And, like, why should I have to work hard? Like, can I play Xbox? That's hard work. I can sell my World of Warcraft weapons and make a fortune maybe, but my friend says that we guys, we live in Generation Y. Now, I know technically we live in Generation Y, the, the, the letter, but my friend says we live in Generation W-H-Y. Why should I have to work hard? Why shouldn't I get a trophy for showing up to work? Why should I have to fight for my marriage? Why should I have to man up? Mr. Rogers told me I was special. So won't you be my neighbor, boss? Like, come on, I'm special. Don't you see it? Guys, when I was in Little League, I got 
trophies on every team I played on, even teams where we never won one game. Me and all my friends, we had trophies not for winning. I was on a Little League team that didn't win one game, and I got an awesome trophy for it. We got trophies just for signing up so we could take this into the workplace. Boss, shouldn't I get a trophy? I, signed, I, I showed up for work today, didn't I? And I have in my own life my own trinity of stupidity. Me, myself, and I. But guys, here's the deal. When you have this childlike castle cloud architecture, big dream, childlike mentality, you also gotta man up, roll up your sleeves, and work hard for your teleologic dreams. Like, hard work is part of what the Bible propagates in this kingdom agenda. The difference between try and triumph is a little bit of oomph. The difference between try and triumph is a little bit of oomph. Add a little oomph to your try and you get a triumph. Consider the oomph of the ant. Proverbs chapter 6, listen to this. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which, having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep? So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Solomon says, kids, boys with beards, consider the ant. You'll never see a lazy ant. An ant prepares its food in the harvest so that it's well-stocked during winter. Be a busy bee or like an industrious ant. Sometimes to be about the father's business means we engage in the father's busyness. Jesus said, I'm about my father's business when he was a kid. And sometimes to be about the father's business means you engage in the father's busyness. So... Let me, let me talk from my heart for a second. Working hard and manning up while also having childlike faith is such an incredible combo. Like, there was this hero back in the day named Sir Robert Scott, who was the second guy to get to the South Pole. He died on the way back, and he was actually friends with the author of Peter Pan. Robert Scott, it was said of him that he was a strange mixture of the dreamy, and the practical, and never more practical than immediately after he had been dreaming. He had his eyes on the star, but his feet on the ground. He had the ability to follow his heart, but he took his brain with him. And, and I want to be somebody who encourages you guys at a young age, like work hard at your God-given dream and purpose. There's this book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And he did a study that proved that every master practices their craft for 10,000 hours. He studied the Beatles, Bill Gates, pianists, hockey players, celloists, musicians, and he found that they all practiced for 10,000 hours their craft. See how much is that? Athletes, or whatever you're talking about, criminals. If you're gonna be a good criminal, you gotta practice thieving for 10,000 hours. Fantasy writers. 10,000 hours means you practice four hours a day, five days a week for 10 years. You say, oh, that's hard work. But what he found is that there was never one case of greats that didn't practice their craft for 10,000 hours. You say, why do you bring that up? Because a study came out recently that showed that the average American boy 
will practice video games for 10,000 hours before he turns 21. Now, I love video games in high school. If that's your thing, keep playing them. Maybe you're going to be doing video game design. That's great. Maybe that's your craft. But at the end of my life, I want to stand before God and he says, wow, you were a master gamer. Unless that's my calling. I want to encourage you to, at a young age, consider the ant. Add a little umph to your try, and that's when you get the triumph. So, so let's consider manning up and, and what it looks like to, to stay young in faith, but grow Methuselah like an old in wisdom. Please turn really quick. We only have a few more minutes to Proverbs chapter 26, if you've got speedy fingers. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13. If you're in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13, would you please say hallelujah? Okay. This is what the author says. The slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so does the slothful man upon his bed. The slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom, it grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. So, okay, what did those verses just mean? Look again at Proverbs 26, 13. The slothful man says, I'm not going to man up. I want to stay in bed. I can't go to work because there's a lion in the streets. Could you imagine trying that one on your boss? Sorry, boss. Can't come to in and out to go to work today because a lion might eat me on my way. And then he'd say, all right, cool, no worries. You say, well, well, it's different context. In Israel, they probably had a bunch of lions. Actually, if you said there was a lion out in the streets, you were lion. Most probably, a lion would not be roaming the streets of an Israelite town geographically. Notice the next one. He says, the slothful man turns on a bed like a door turns on its hinges. His destiny hinges on his bed. Have you ever seen that happen? Like, the alarm clock goes off and snooze, and then you roll over to the other side. Ten minutes later, alarm clock goes off, snooze, you roll over to the other side. Like a door turning upon your hinges. <laughs> so is the slothful person upon his bed. The next one's even better. I love how he employs some humor. He says, the slothful man puts his hand to his bosom and it grieves him to bring it to his mouth. What does that mean? It seriously means this. If you're eating your lucky charms, you put your spoon in the bowl, and then you say, ah, I can't lift it to my mouth. The spoon is just so heavy. It's like the only thing he's good at is making excuses. And then it says, This slothful man is wiser in his own conceit than seven men who can talk sensibly. In other words, the lazy man says, I've never read any books, but I got the monopoly on truth. Did you know that 50% of people, according to one study, who graduate high school will never read another book for the rest of their life? Now, I want you to consider this. There's a lion in the street, says the lazy man, but Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. The slothful man turns on his bed like a door upon his hinges, but Jesus rose a great while before the day. The slothful man doesn't even want to feed himself, but Jesus fed 5,000. The slothful man says, I'm wiser than seven people, but Jesus, as a 12-year-old, was so precocious that he was wiser than scribes and scholars, and they were amazed at his questions and his answers. Jesus did all things well, because he had childlike faith in his Abba, but he also put feet to his faith and worked hard at bringing about the inauguration of the kingdom of God. 
So, if you want to be a preacher, listen to what Jonathan Edwards did. When he was a student minister, he studied for 13 hours a day and then became a key figure of the Great Awakening. If you want to be a painter, Pablo Picasso was so good that he could paint a dove in 16 seconds, but that dove had six decades of work behind it. What I'm trying to say is, be Peter Pan in your faith, but be wise and elderly in your wisdom of being practical and working hard at your God-given purpose. Pray for the super and do the natural. I want you to say this out loud. Pray for the super. Do the natural. And what do you get? The supernatural, baby. Faith can move mountains. This is all I'm trying to say. Faith can move mountains. But don't be surprised if God hands you a shovel. God, I have faith that these mountains can be moved in my life. He's like, I love that. Kids make up my kingdom. But don't be surprised if I hand you a shovel. Keep your eyes on the stars, but remember to keep your feet on the ground. Follow your heart, but take your brain with you. Have a checkup from the neck up. Get rid of stinking thinking. Have an attitude of gratitude. And we're going to make a grandiloquent impact in our lives as we pray for the super and do the natural. We're going to be secondhand dreamers. We're going to be sun stoppers. We're going to be storm stillers. We're going to be wave walkers. We're going to be giant killers. We're going to mount up with wings like eagles. We're going to have Peter Pan childlike faith for to have faith is to have wings as we stay enthusiastic and young like Josiah, eight-year-old king. But we grow old and wise and wisdom like Solomon, the sage. And we're going to bring about in our generation the Peter Pandemonium Kingdom. The beautiful chaos is never growing up, yet still manning up. Can I get an amen to that? Father, we thank you so much that you cause kids to be the paradigm and the paragons of virtue in regards to your kingdom, and we want to follow in their tiny little footprints. And I pray that we would be like David and Daring and yet Methuselah in wisdom, that we would be like Josiah in enthusiasm, but Solomon in knowledge. I pray that we would have faith to move mountains, and when you hand us a shovel, help us to be industrious like the ant. Help us to be about the Father's business and be about the Father's busyness as we seek to advance your kingdom of hope, your empire of sacred optimism, Jesus, joy, and holy happiness in our generation. And we pray this in Jesus' name.